0: Well, good morning and happy Easter to all of you. It is so good to have you with us. I'm glad you decided to join us. And I want to welcome everyone, whether you're on site or you're watching online. And if you happen to be a guest with us today, we especially want to welcome you. Uh, We are glad that you are with us as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Now... I don't know how many Easter sermons you've heard in your lifetime. I know that some of you have heard quite a few, but if you've been to more than one Easter service, you could probably guess what I'm going to talk about, right? You would expect me to talk about the stone that was rolled away and the empty tomb and that amazing morning when Jesus rose from the dead. And if you think that's what I'm going to talk about, you're right, but not yet. First, I want to talk about the power of a seed. This week I've been thinking about seeds kind of a lot, and that's mostly because I've spent time looking at a particular verse in the Bible. This verse is a quote from Jesus, and it's found in the Gospel of John, chapter 12. Let me go ahead and read this for you. John 12, verse 44, verse 24. "'Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Now that's a a fairly simple statement, but there is a profound meaning here. If a seed is going to fulfill its God-given purpose, it has to die. That death brings a harvest of new life. Now, on a normal day, we may not think much about seeds, uh, but the truth is, seeds are kind of miraculous. This verse talks about a kernel of wheat, and I want to show you a time-lapse video uh, that lets you see wheat growing from seeds. Let's check this out. So you start with these kernels planted in the dirt, and the first thing you see are little roots snaking out of those seeds. And then as the roots pull in water and nutrients from the soil, those little shoots start stretching up toward the sky. And then over time, those shoots grow taller and taller, and eventually they become fully grown stalks of wheat. And then, what do you see at the top of a stalk of wheat? Well, there's a whole new collection of kernels, right? And each one of those seeds came from one plant. And that one plant came from a single seed that had to die in order to bring a harvest of new life. Now, most of us, we we don't step back in amazement every time a new plant grows up out of the ground because it's just too common, right? But when you really stop and think about it, seeds are genuinely awe-inspiring. Think about the power and potential that is packed into just a single seed. There's a preacher named Charles Spurgeon who was talking about acorns. And he said, when you look into an acorn, you can see an ocean of wood. And here's what he means by that. He said, inside every acorn is a tree, a huge oak tree. And that entire tree is inside the acorn, all scrunched up. And then every part of that huge tree comes from the substance in the acorn. But that's not all. What is going to grow on that tree that's currently inside of the acorn? Well, it's going to grow a thousand more acorns, right? And each one of those acorns has not only a single tree inside, but a thousand more trees. And that's why Charles Spurgeon said, just one acorn has the power to cover the world with an ocean of wood. That's the power in a seed. So, you see what I mean? I'm, I'm not exaggerating when I say that every seed in the world is a miracle. But it may be more accurate to say that every seed is a potential miracle. Let's go back to that kernel of wheat. What happens if you don't plant that seed? What happens if you protect that little kernel, maybe put it in a seed museum? Well, if you never put that seed in the ground, you're never going to get the plant. Because in order for the seed to release its creative power, it has to die. It has to be buried. And then that death leads to new life. And in the end, that's what we're talking about today. New life. resurrection. It's the hope that even though something has died, there's a promise of new life. And this is why Easter is relevant for every single one of us. Because in one way or another, each one of us is familiar with death and grief. For some of you, death has already hit very close to home. Because you've lost a friend or a family member or a spouse. And you will be grieving that loss for the rest of your life. But, you know, death is not the only reason for grief, right? Uh, Maybe you're grieving over the loss of a marriage or some other significant relationship. Or maybe your life just hasn't turned out the way you hoped it would, and you're grieving over the loss of your dreams. Or it could be that you're grieving because there, there was a time in your past when things were happier or better or simpler. And you know there's no way you can go back to that happier time. The experience of grief is common to all of us. And if you haven't been hit hard yet, don't worry. Your time is coming. But as we talk about the resurrection of Jesus today, how does that ancient event make any difference in the grief that we experience here and now? Well, Some of you can answer that question because you're living it. The resurrection of Jesus makes all the difference. If Jesus truly rose from the dead, we can have real hope even in the face of deep grief. Now, I do need to say that here at Plum Creek, we do believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead physically, that that he was really and truly dead, and now he's really and truly alive. It's not figurative language. It's not a metaphor and I realize that for some people, when they hear that, they say, yeah, if you want to believe in fairy tales, you go right ahead. Just don't expect me to believe that. And I understand where these people are coming from because this whole idea goes against the laws of nature as we know them. It's not normal, right? On a normal day, we don't see dead people come back to life. But, you know, over the years... I've discovered lots of solid reasons to believe that Jesus literally rose from the dead. And today I'll give you just one. Here it is. Every time something comes to life, it's only by the power of God. Uh, To put it very simply, we can't do that. We can't start with something that's lifeless and inorganic, like a rock, and then turn it into something that is alive and organic, like a squirrel. Now, we can make a rock that looks like a squirrel, but we can't make a real living squirrel. And scientists have attempted to create life many times, and they've never been able to do it. But guess what? All around us, every day, life is still being created. Remember that acorn? Uh, There are lots of people who would say that our universe is here just because of some big cosmic accident. But those same people would also say it's completely natural that a ginormous oak tree would be inside that acorn. That's natural. But hold on a second. Is it really? We may know that an oak tree comes from an acorn, but that doesn't mean we have any idea how or why that happens. And the only reason we call it natural is because it's a common event. We see it a lot. But it reminds me of something that C.S. Lewis said. He said that every birth is a miracle. Every birth is just as supernatural as the virgin birth. Why? Well, it's because a new life was created where there had been no life. And here's the thing. If God, was, if God was able to create life one time, why would we be surprised that he could recreate life, bring the dead back to life? You know, he's already proven that he has the power, and the resurrection of Jesus is just one more example of that power. Every time something comes to life, it's only by the power of God. And This morning, we're going to see how that power can bring hope to anyone who needs it. And we'll see that in the life of a particular character in the Bible named Mary Magdalene. Mary was changed forever by an encounter with Jesus. Now, for those of you just joining us today, we've been in a sermon series called Love First. And every week in this series, we've looked at some individual who had an encounter with Jesus. And in each one of these encounters, Jesus starts with love. He loves God. First, we, we talked about the rich young ruler who had his priorities all mixed up. He just didn't get it. But still, Jesus looked at him, and he loved him. We talked about the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, and the law said she should be stoned. But Jesus refused to condemn her. And then last week, we talked about the most notorious traitor of all time, Judas Iscariot. And remember what Jesus did? Even while Judas was in the process of betraying him, Jesus knelt down and he washed his feet. It really didn't matter who it was. Every time Jesus met somebody, he loved first. We're going to see that pattern continue today in a dramatic way. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app with you, open up to John chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen. Now, this chapter takes place on the original Easter Sunday. Jesus died on Friday. He stayed dead on Saturday. And then on Sunday, he kicked death to the curb and he walked out of the grave. Let's pick up the story in John chapter 20, verse 1. It says, Early on, the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Now, we think of Easter as a day for celebration, but right here, Mary and these disciples, they are in no mood to celebrate because this weekend had already been horrific, and now Seems like things have gotten worse because someone has stolen the body of Jesus. Mary already felt this overwhelming grief. And now, this is yet another blow. But who is Mary Magdalene, really? Do we know who this woman is? How did she get to this point? Well, let's go back and get some of Mary's backstory. You know, it's interesting There are four books in the Bible that are basically biographies of Jesus, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And all four of those books tell us that Mary was present at the crucifixion and also at the empty tomb. But only one Gospel writer, Luke, specifically mentions Mary Magdalene earlier in the story of Jesus. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus is traveling around to different towns and villages, and he's sharing the good news about God's kingdom. And Luke tells us that there was a group of people traveling with Jesus at that time. And as you might expect, the 12 apostles were in that group, uh, but there were also several women. All of these women had been healed by Jesus in, in some form or another, either physically or spiritually. And in that group of women, Luke highlights Mary Magdalene. He tells us that Mary had been possessed by demonic spirits. And demon possession is kind of a mysterious thing, but you can be confident that before Mary met Jesus, she was a tormented soul. She also would have been an outcast in society. When Mary came around, people turned away or they ran away. Luke doesn't give us the details of her first encounter with Jesus, but we do know that he healed her, and he freed her from that spiritual oppression. That's why Mary is in this group traveling with Jesus. Others ran away from her, but he ran to her and changed her life. He did what he always does. He loved first. And Mary would never forget what Jesus did. She would be grateful and devoted to him for the rest of her life. And in those days when Mary traveled with Jesus, she got to witness this brief moment in history when the Messiah brought light into this dark world. She she had a front row seat as Jesus worked miracles and he spoke the truth and he shared God's love with everyone he met. But the good times didn't last, right? After three years of ministry, The time came for Jesus to sacrifice His life, to carry out His mission, to go to the cross, to give His life for sinners like me and like you. So Jesus was arrested. They beat Him. They mocked Him. And they nailed Him to a cross. And through all of that trauma and that terror, Mary Magdalene was right there. She saw it all. In John chapter 19, we read that Mary Magdalene was one of the women standing near the cross as Jesus was crucified. And, and can you imagine what that was like for her? She watched her Savior die from just a few feet away. She saw all of the blood, all of the gore. She saw Jesus wince in excruciating pain every time he took a breath. And then finally, she heard him speak those words. It is finished. And she saw his body go limp as he gave up his spirit. Now Mary had to be in shock. She she just couldn't process everything she had seen. It didn't make sense. There were so many questions. How could they do this to Jesus? How could he allow them to do it? He had the power to stop them. Mary knew that. So why didn't he stop them? Well, in the end, Mary couldn't change anything that happened. But what she could do was stay close to the body of Jesus. She wanted to make sure that he had a proper burial. She wanted to anoint his body and honor him in any way that she could. Her devotion to Jesus was just as strong as ever. On Friday evening after the crucifixion, a man named Joseph of Arimathea went to Pontius Pilate And Joseph asked Pilate for permission to bury the body. Pilate agreed, and then Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. She's still there, isn't she? After most of those other friends and disciples were long gone, Mary was still there. And you know, it's kind of amazing. Mary Magdalene was a witness to every significant event in the most significant weekend in history. She saw the crucifixion of Jesus. She saw the burial of Jesus. And then on Sunday morning, she was the first to see the resurrected Jesus. Let's jump back to John chapter 20 remember where we left off? Mary went to the tomb. She saw that the stone was rolled away away, and then she ran to tell Peter and John that somebody had stolen the body. Peter and John just ran off and Mary made her way back to the tomb a little more slowly. She had to be numb by this point. But then look at John 20 verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. So Mary is right smack in the middle of the greatest miracle of all time. She's standing there at ground zero. But the amazing thing is, she doesn't get it. She's got blinders on. And it's so ironic, isn't it? Mary has stumbled onto the best event in history, but she still thinks she's in the middle of a disaster. She's got angels in front of her. Jesus is right behind her. And she feels like she's alone. She's she's about to become one of the most famous people who ever lived, but she feels abandoned and forgotten. And we need to remember this because sometimes we are like Mary. We feel surrounded by bad news. We feel like it's the end of the world and, and we can't imagine how God would bring hope out of a situation that feels hopeless. But all the time, God is working. God is doing something that we can't see, or in Mary's case, he's already done it. You got to feel for this woman, right? Even after the risen Jesus appears, she still thinks he's one of the enemy. Look at verse 15. Jesus asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. She's like, listen, buddy, I don't know who you are. I don't know why you would have done this, but could you just let us grieve in peace? And then, in the very next verse, we see one of the great moments in all of Scripture. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni! which means teacher. All it took was one word. It wasn't just a word, it was a name. It was her name. His voice speaking her name. She could hear the love in his voice. She could hear the understanding. But most of all, she could hear the voice of a man who is no longer dead. Her rabbi, her Lord, her Savior, Jesus, he's alive again. And then all those questions that Mary had before, those questions suddenly became irrelevant. And those feelings of of being alone and abandoned, Mary could see it now. She had never been abandoned. Jesus was here. And there would never again be any reason to lose hope. And she couldn't keep her joy inside. She had to tell somebody. In verse 18, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. You know, I kind of wish there was some sort of epilogue for Mary in the Bible. Uh, After that first Easter, where did she go? How did she spend the rest of her life? Uh, There are different stories and legends outside of Scripture, but the truth is, we, we just don't know. However... I will guarantee you that she never forgot the lesson that she learned on the morning of the resurrection. She learned that it doesn't matter what happens. It it doesn't matter what you're going through. If you've given your life to Jesus, your grief is not the end of the story. There is hope, even in mourning, even in the face of death. It all goes back to what I read at the beginning. Let's, let's read that verse again, John twelve twenty four, Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And before we leave today, there's an important question that we need to answer. In that verse, what does the kernel or the seed represent? Well, it can actually mean several different things, uh, but I'll give you three big ones. And the first meaning is fairly obvious, right? Jesus is the seed. Uh, And he was primarily talking about himself in that verse. Uh, Jesus had to die in order to bring about new life. It's the reason why Jesus came into this world. Jesus came because every person in this world is deeply loved by God, but unfortunately, every person has also sinned against God. Each one of us deserves to pay the penalty for our sin, which is the penalty of death, but Jesus took our sin on his shoulders. He died so that we might live, and he was buried in the ground just like a seed. But then what happened on Easter morning? He rose up out of the ground and he brought a harvest of new life, not just for himself, but for all of us. This new life is available to anyone and everyone. Now, I said that I would give you three answers to that question. What does the kernel or the seed represent? The second answer is that your soul is the seed. We have to die spiritually to bring about new life. It is true that Jesus made this life available to anyone and everyone, and it's true that this life is a free gift, but the only way to receive that gift is to let go of your old life, let go of your old sinful self. You surrender to Jesus and you say, From now on, Lord, my life is not my own. I give you control. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Galatians 2.20. He said, He said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see that? Not only was Jesus crucified, I've been crucified too. The old me is dead and gone and now it's Jesus living through me. You know, we, we see this in a, in a visible way when someone gets baptized. That person is dying to self, just like Jesus died on the cross. And that person is buried in the water, just like Jesus was buried in the tomb. And that person raises up to live a new life, just like Jesus rose from the grave and, and lived a new life. But then after you have been crucified with Christ... What changes? What's really different? How does this new life help you face all the pain and the grief in this world? Well, remember Mary Magdalene. Remember that lesson she learned when she encountered the risen Christ. From that day on, whenever Mary felt alone or abandoned, she knew that wasn't true. She wasn't alone. God is there and he's always working He works everything together for the good of those who love him. He brings beautiful things out of our brokenness. So we've seen two answers to that question. Jesus is the seed and your soul needs to be the seed. But there's one more answer that I have to mention. Your body is the seed. We have to die physically to bring about new life. And now we're talking about eternity. This is eternity eternal life, eternal hope. And this is where the resurrection changes everything. When Jesus walked out of the tomb, he defeated death itself. Death has no hold on him. And if you have been crucified with Christ, death has no hold on you either. This is a promise from God. And again, going back to the Apostle Paul, he explains this really well in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul writes, So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, but it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, and it is raised a spiritual body. You see that seed terminology here? Your physical body is sown in the ground like a seed, and that death is a prerequisite for the new life that's to come. And that's why followers of Jesus can walk through each day full of an eternal hope. Whatever this world throws at you, it's okay. Even if this world kills you, it's still okay. Better than okay, actually. Because you're going to be with Jesus forever in heaven. And there's literally nothing better than that. Nothing. So as we leave here today, I want all of us to be clear about the real source of our hope. Real hope requires the death of all three of these seeds. Jesus, your soul, and your physical body. When all three of these seeds die and give way to eternal life, guess what? You won't even need hope anymore. Hope becomes obsolete because all of your hopes will be fully realized in the presence of your Savior, Jesus. But between now and then, this eternal hope will get you through even the toughest days in this life.